The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Welcome to The Views Room, a weekly podcast brought to you by Reuters Breaking Views. I'm Rob Cox, the editor of Breaking Views, and I'm taking yet another break from our scheduled podcast vacation to discuss this week's Democratic National Convention, which was held, well, online. Joe Biden accepted the nomination to take on Donald Trump on Thursday night after four days of speeches and spectacle with no unforced errors, a broadly appealing economic message, and above all, a call for restoration of broken norms. I checked in with Anna Shemansky and John Foley in New York to get their impressions and to limber up for next week's Republican National Convention. Give a listen. Well, Thursday night concluded four days of the Democratic National Convention, which was supposed to be in Milwaukee, but instead was basically remote, a little bit from Wilmington, Delaware. Um, checking in with you, John Foley, the U.S. editor, and Anna Shemansky, uh, our columnist. I, I know you guys... Uh, burned the, the midnight oil to watch these ex, these extraordinary nights of entertainment. What, uh, I don't, John, what was your sort of sense of Biden's performance first of all? Because you know, he is the guy people are going to vote for. Yeah, I mean, after wading through the, the full fatigue at watching people speak online, which the last five months has instilled in me and probably most of people in America, I mean, I thought it was, I thought it was good. Like, to, to, he, he, he ticked a lot of very specific boxes. He addressed some specifics, uh, which was kind of interesting. It wasn't just kind of blather about unity. Uh, you know, there was some uh, some talk, uh, stuff that he's basically said before, but about, you know, making the tax code work more fairly for people who work rather than people who just hold wealth. Um, it, you know, talking about infrastructure, a um, couple of mentions of China. Um, but at the same time, the folk, I mean, this is an infomercial, right? This is not a convention that chooses the nominee anymore. It hasn't been for a while. It's just a big TV show that lasts all week. Anna, if it was a if an infomercial, um, this wasn't for like an abdominator or anything like that. What were you, what were you buying the product? What did you think of it? Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of, of Biden, I agree. I mean, I think, let's be honest, the, the bar for Biden for the speech was very low. And I think the fact that he gave a reasonably decent speech, he didn't make any massive flubs, it was basically the best they could expect. And it's actually, frankly, good, too, because it's probably going to be out of the news in like a day. And honestly, that's what the Biden campaign wants. They, they don't want the focus to be on Biden. Let's be honest. Like they do well the more that people are not looking at him and they will probably was, continue. Was, I was surprised. I was, I, you know, we've all been sort of expecting, you know, this guy's 77 years old. He's been around forever. We know his story. But, I, you know, and, and, and his personal tragedy, that story and, and the, 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 the part about who he is, I think they did a pretty good job of bringing that out. His empathy is the one thing that you can clearly say Donald Trump lacks. And I think they've, they, and then I also thought his vigor, I mean, I wasn't expecting him to be quite so forceful in his, in the way he mm -hmm. delivered that speech. He, as you say, he didn't flub. He had a sort of almost Baptist preacher quality to the, to his delivery, which, um, which I think probably will charge up the base, even though they've been challenged in that front. Yeah. Although I would probably argue that this entire convention was really not aimed at the base. This convention was aimed at previous Trump voters. This convention seems to mostly be aimed at people who are probably not watching it, but it, it was aimed at those swing voters. I mean, to me, which makes sense, the best advertisement for the base is what Trump does and what Trump says. What this convention was doing was saying, Joe Biden is a normal, reasonable, decent human being who is going to reduce this chaos 
Thus, mm. you can vote for him even if you didn't last time. And it also was pretty clear to me that they were trying to make people who voted for Trump last time feel not so bad about themselves. That's true. That was definitely true. true in the previous speeches as well. I noticed both of you know the Obamas, for example, said he kind of had his chance. We've given him four years, which is a way of saying, you know, you didn't make a massive mistake by voting for him in 2016. Um, but it's there's time for a do over, which I thought was quite a clever way of approaching mm -hmm. that. What were, you, what were your highlights? I mean, what, what did you guys pick up that were sort of, I don't know, either interesting culturally or in terms of substance? Was there anything that stuck out, Anna, for you? Well, I think we all know that the roll call was fantastic. Like, the roll call right. was the best thing in this entire convention. The calamari <laughs> guys in Rhode Island. The, cal the calamari. Calamari comeback state. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, but to, to be serious, though, I mean, I do think that obviously there were a lot of questions going into this about what the format was going to do, whether it was going to, you know, really bring down the energy of the convention. And I think to a certain extent, it, it was a mixed bag, but I think they did a pretty good job with it. I mean, I think it enabled them to bring in a lot of, you know, uh, quote unquote, real people. It, it created this more intimate setting, which I actually think for the message they were trying to put across really worked well. And then I'll give the very, very obvious answer, which is that obviously Michelle and Barack are the highlights. They will be the highlights as long as they're speaking at DNCs. <laughs> and they definitely were this time. What about you, John? I mean, I, I agree with that. Obviously, Michelle Obama, I could watch her speak or listen to her speak for hours and just like lap at everything she says because she's such a great orator. Um, I think that, um, you know, it was it was good to hear him tackle the coronavirus stuff very directly. Um, I was quite surprised that he said um, that he would bring in a national mask mandate because that's one thing where you do lose a lot of the people who potentially the, would the have cultural been. warriors, the people who are exactly. yeah exactly. But he said yeah. it, and and it, and it's important. I think the one thing they didn't do, I think, the the real message is, and so, and some of the speakers did tackle this, is get out and vote. And the and I, I for me, if you're going to spend a week doing an infomercial, you need to spend most no, of that. But isn't that what, like, how to all, vote. You had all these celebrities. Uh, well, I should say you had these moderators or or MCs. So you had Julia Louise Dreyfus last night. I, I actually, I think I remember the numbers, like 30330 or something. Like they kept hitting you with the, the vote thing. I, so I don't know. I, I thought that was pretty effective. I thought they were hammering that pretty strong. But you just wonder if there's something that could be done on a more kind of local level. You have this national, this is a national broadcast. It's very difficult because it's broadcast on, you know, but but each, each region is going to face such different challenges in getting people to vote and getting people to vote in the way that's appropriate for them. And I wonder if that they need to focus more on, on that yeah. rather than just yeah. in general to go out and vote message. I agree, although I do think partly what they were trying to push was using some of those the kind of texting and tech enabled things so that each individual person based on where they are located can get information about how best to vote. And I mean, what about um, what about the economic message? I mean, they're, they're clearly, I think the way Biden sort of suggested there's like there's like four big issues. You've got the COVID crisis, you've got the economic crisis from it, and you have racial injustice. And I think there was another one. Okay, I must be forgetting. But climate change. Climate change. Sorry. Yeah. How could we forget that? Um, but okay, three of the four are like today problems. The other is a today problem that's going to bite us in the ass later. But I mean, it's interesting. Um, you know, there was. It, the economic message I wrote in a column today is sort of it was just it wasn't very it, it's not very elaborate it's not very it's 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 kind of a reversion to the mean argument right so it's like we're going to roll back the one sort of big uh, thing that the, the Trump uh, administration did which was the the tax cut in 2017 
um, and we're going to use that money to fund whatever healthcare, education, and other things. Um, and then we're going to rebuild back better. I, I didn't really get, I wasn't sure that there was, maybe it doesn't matter. I mean, he doesn't, you know, maybe no one really cares about the details. What do you guys think? Well, I always think that nobody cares about the details. In, <laughs> the, in presidential campaigns historically, the fewer details you give, usually the better you do. It, the more you get, the more you say, the more it gives people the opportunity to disagree with you. Whereas when you say things like, I want jobs, I believe in the soul of America. Few people are like, I'm anti-job. So, <laughs> so anti-soul. I, I think, exactly. So, so yeah, I, I think what they're doing is, is it, it makes a lot of sense to me. And, and I also, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest, like I, I would be shocked if they actually rolled back those taxes in the first four years, you know, but it, but, at, but it's one of those things that even if someone is a Trump voter, they probably weren't a huge fan of the tax cuts that didn't help them. Yeah, John, I mean, you, you know, the corporate tax cut was the sort of one that our greater sort of, you know, our audience is very focused on going down to 21 percent um, and, you know, was, you know, arguably helped the stock market lift the earnings, all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't seem I mean, the market doesn't seem to be baking in some sort of giant change either way. But I think that I think the point is exactly as Anna says, he, he has laid out some detail on what he wants to do with taxes. And there's the, this broad vision of kind of road, you know, rolling back some of the kind of giveaways to the super rich and, and raising corporate tax rate, but offset with credits for specific things that he thinks are good, like, you know, people who give care or electric vehicles. But you just at this stage, a, a, no one really cares about those kind of details. And B, we, we don't really know what kind of economy he would inherit in January. A lot can happen between now and then. And and, and readjusting the tax code will make some people nervous if they're already worried about their incomes after tax falling. So I just I think it's wise for him to not give much detail. One thing that I did think was interesting and has shifted clearly in the last few years is the approach to China that he only mentioned it a couple of times, but mm -hmm. he did say we will not be basically um, beholden to China for our medical equipment PPE and, also, and all that stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And we will be, you know, we will be creating jobs that are in America, not in China. So I think that's sort of like robust, muscular nation nationalism is the wrong word, but like patriotic capitalism is here to stay. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, I mean, it's part of the, the, the program that they unveiled a month or so ago, which Steve Bannon, of all people, praised for having $700 billion of spending to buy American and invest in American R&D. Uh, but this sort of sets us up nicely for the sort of final part of this chat, which is next week we get the Republican National Convention. It seems to me, John, maybe you're maybe you're hitting at what they'll go after. I mean, the idea that your taxes will go up if you don't keep Donald Trump might be the only sort of really strong economic or fit sort of financial message that they can put forward right now. Well, so maybe I'm speaking out of line here, but as a as a relative newcomer to the United States, it does seem to me that a lot of the presidential selection over the centuries has been about showmanship. Um, you know, George Washington was the tallest man in the room and that's why they made him president was the theory. And and Donald Trump knows how to put on a show. Well, George Washington had done a couple of there things. Were other things. But John Adams used to say that he got the job. Right. He may have had an axes of his own to grind, but he but George, Donald Trump knows how to put on a show. And the, the, the Republican convention sounds a bit ridiculous when you look at some of the people who are speaking, um, you know, the couple who were waving guns around at protests outside their house. It's, it's a strange lineup, but it's going to be quite compelling viewing. And I think he probably will know to keep keep away from the detail as he always does, but put on a good show. And the Democrats have said some really interesting things and they've you know, tugged a lot of heartstrings. 
Have they put on a good show? I'm not really sure. Could this have been condensed into one three hour, you know, infomercial? Yes, probably. So I think they're going to find and, and, the, and the Biden campaign's already behind on fundraising. Um, don't forget in, in recent weeks. So the challenge is that Trump could just put on a massive spectacular and Anna, what, yeah, what do you expect? Yeah, see, I, I would normally agree with you. I mean, I think historically that has definitely been the case. But I think it's really interesting to think about last time around that often when you because you had Trump and Clinton who both had high unfavorable ratings, whoever was in the news the most, their polling was down. And right now, as we've seen, the more Trump is in the news, the more he's saying it tends to be the worst he does. So I think you are totally right that he is going to try to put on this kind of American carnage spectacular, but I wonder if it will actually end up hurting him because it is only going to reinforce a lot of the things that people are concerned about. A lot of the things that those swing voters are gonna be like, is this really what I'm looking for? Whereas what the Democrats gave and what Biden gave was this, yes, kind of milk toast, you know, but, it isn't going to hurt them. And at this moment, when you have these conventions this close together, you're not going to get giant convention bumps. They're just too close together. So all you want to do is not make an unforced error. And I would probably argue that Trump is actually very likely to make an unforced error. Right. So you, you basically you put forward a, let's call it a normal, I dare say, conservative vision from the Democrats. Let's see what we get next week from, I don't know, is, is it even happening? Charlotte? Uh, Jackson, where I don't even well television. It'll be on television. <laughs> we All right, guys, we'll, we'll, we'll talk again this time next week. That's our show for this week. Thanks to my guests and hats off to our producers, Freddie Joyner and Lee Anderson in New York. And our final thanks go to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you go to get your podcast fixes. Check us out every day at breakingviews.com and don't forget to tune in next week for another edition. Stay healthy.